is filled with so much resentment and shame and guilt. It's more toxic than any amount of pollution a corporate industry can actually generate into our planet to make us sick. The toxicity we create from ourselves is so much more potent than what we have to filter from outside. Welcome to the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You are about to hear from Dr. Keisha Ewers. Her story is truly incredible. I've had many functional medicine providers on this podcast before, but none like Dr. Keisha. Today, she is not only going to share her personal story of healing from rheumatoid arthritis and breast cancer, but she's also going to share with you how she did that using her freedom framework and how you too can explore if past trauma is a source of disease in your current body. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. Today I have guest Dr. Keisha Ewers. She is an integrative medicine expert, a doctor of sexology, a family advanced registered nurse practitioner, a psychotherapist, and is board certified in functional medicine and holds an advanced certification in Ayurvedic medicine. She is also the founder and medical director of the Academy for Integrative Medicine Health Coach Certification Program. Dr. Keisha has been in the medical field for over 30 years. And after being diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, an incurable disease according to Western medicine. She discovered how to reverse autoimmunity using her freedom framework method, which she has now used with thousands of her own patients and teaches to her health coach students in her online certification program. She is also the founder of a branch of medicine now called functional sexology. Dr. Akisha is a popular speaker, including at Harvard and from the TEDx stage and a best-selling author of the solving the autoimmune puzzle, the women's guide to reclaiming emotional freedom and vibrant health and your libido, libido story, a workbook for women who want to to find, fix, and free their sexual desire. You can listen to her Mystic Medicine Radio Show and find her programs at drkeisha.com. So welcome to the show, Dr. Keisha. Thank you. It's really an honor to be here. So I first heard part of your story when you interviewed me for one of your autoimmune summits. And I, as I was sharing with you before we started our recording today, every time I hear from you, I just hear more and more about what you've been through and thus also what you've then created to help your patients really get to the root cause of their problems. So I'm just going to start asking you your story, <laughs> how you got into functional medicine, how it's helped you and, and what you've now created to help patients. Sure. You know, it's interesting because I haven't met a functional medicine provider who doesn't have their own story. And it's it's a compelling story that gets us to do what we do, because when we're sort of raised in our culture, the Western medical paradigm is our underpinning, right? So that's exactly how I started. I was a registered nurse by the age of 19 and was in, you know, worked close, quickly into a high intensity um, intensive care unit, life flight, you know, uh, balloon pump, thoracic ICU kind of world. And I was, I loved it. I thrived on this adrenaline junkie kind of nursing. And then, you know, I, I ran marathons. I was raising four children, pretty, I thought happy in my life, but I was very, very hard on myself. I was a perfectionist and drove myself like nothing I've ever seen and, and very productivity oriented. And then one day, and this is what my patients always say too, you know, they say, all of a sudden I'm sick. 
And that's exactly how I experienced it. I, I woke up one morning, we were preparing to go to Disney World as family. And the morning that we woke up that, that we were supposed to go, I had gained 10 pounds of puffiness overnight. And uh, all of my joints were red and flamed and swollen. And my friends used to call me the Energizer Bunny. And it was like someone had taken the batteries out of the Energizer Bunny, right? I, I just couldn't move, I was flattened. So I got in to see somebody and in the course of the history taking process, she asked me if I had autoimmune disease in my family. And I said, yeah, I think my grandfather had rheumatoid arthritis and was in a wheelchair for a time. He actually died before I was born. And she said, okay, well, that's it then, right? And, and I was like, what? And, <laughs> you know, she gave me two prescriptions. One was for methotrexate, the one was for a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. And I said, wait a second, you know, and, and she said, well, you have RA and, you know, and she said, take these and when you get worse, come back. And it wasn't like an, if you get worse, it was a, when you get worse. Mm -hmm. And I just remember kind of trying to negotiate with her before she left the room. Like, wait a second, wait a second. I'm very disciplined. I make my own food. I I'll do anything. You know, what is, what else is there besides these meds, which I knew the side pro that profile on. And so she says, I'm just afraid you've joined, you know, the ranks of people that have the short end of the genetic straw here, you know, and, and it was just like this final, that's it. And so I remember on my way home thinking there must be a different way of thinking about this and really not wanting to go on these medications and just, you know, kind of reflecting on the mother that my children are used to having and the mother that I was going to rapidly become, I could see if I were to just kind of succumb to that idea that this is not curable, there's nothing you can do, you can manage it until it gets worse and then come back and then we're going to change your meds. And I knew that kind of cycle, right? I just, I'd witnessed it. And so when I got home, I started looking on the internet and of course, Disney World was off for me and, uh, and started really looking for what, what else is there. And I found um, in PubMed, where we keep our medical research, and a research article on yoga and autoimmune disease. Now, you have to remember, like, I'm 55 now. In fact, my grandfather with RA died at this age in a wheelchair. And, you know, I, I think about that all the time when I go hiking in the morning with my dogs. You know, it's just like, wow. This is, you know, so different of a reality than what he had with that diagnosis. And how old so, were you when you were given that diagnosis? I was 30. So 25 years ago in Utah, which is where I lived, there was not a yoga studio next to a Starbucks on every corner. Yoga was very, very rare in the area where I lived. And, and I, I had just barely heard of it, right? So I remember reading, like, yoga is good for autoimmune disease and calling up my, my running partners and saying... I can't go running today. I, I, something's going on with my body and I'm going to a yoga class. And this is how conservative I was. I said, I'm really worried. I've never hung out with people that chant before. Like I was <laughs> so conservative, right? And just really didn't have a clue. I always tell people if an herb had bitten me in the butt, I wouldn't have known what it was. Like I just was not in that world at all. So went to my first yoga class and the teacher actually said enough about this word Ayurveda to pique my interest and I, I went home and obviously I had run all the way to the yoga studio, which was my <laughs> and then run five miles back after a 90 minute yoga class. That was like a power yoga for my first one. I mean, I was so hard on this body. I 
And so I got home, went straight to the internet, which was dial-up modem, right? And started looking at this word Ayurveda. And I, what I discovered was, is it's this five to 10,000 year old, depending on where you read, sister science of yoga, that's the medical arm of it. And I, as I investigated it, all of these answers that, to questions that I had over the years started getting answered. Like, why was the 35-year-old male in the ICU bed that had had a heart attack in the ICU when he was also a marathon runner and we had spent a long time comparing notes and he didn't smoke, didn't drink, was really, really healthy, and yet he had an MI at the age of 35. You know, things like that were being answered in the paradigm of Ayurveda that couldn't be answered in Western medicine because what we said was it's idiopathic, which used to say to me, like, well, that means we're idiots and we don't know. <laughs> but it was because we're always trying to match pill to symptom and not really getting underneath to root cause. And so as I'm reading about Ayurveda, it's talking about this idea that was so revolutionary to me at the time that we are all different. Oh my gosh, we are all different. You know, this is why a nap scene when someone's nauseated and you give it IV in the ICU to somebody, some will conk out and be tired and others they'll start to feel like they just need to get up and go because they're so hyper, right? We have these different ways of reacting to everything in our environment. And in Western medicine, we try to ignore that fact. You know, we just it's like, nope, this is the action that we expect from this drug. But then here's this long list of side effects that can happen, right? And we don't we don't seem to get it that, oh, we're all different people. And so therefore we can't expect standardized outcomes, which is actually a term in Western medicine, standardized evidence-based outcomes. So as I'm reading, my jaw's getting like, oh, this makes so much sense. And one of the things that it taught me was that <laughs> the autoimmune disease is undigested anger. Mm. And I just remember kind of looking at the screen going, but I'm not an angry person, you know, and, and then realizing that's probably part of the problem that I didn't even permit anger and that I didn't really get angry. And so, Oh, that might be an issue. I kept going to yoga and I learned how to meditate. And one day as I was learning how to meditate, this word autoimmune kept floating in front of my closed eye vision. And I remember trying to swat it away because I was a new meditator and thought, oh, well, you're not supposed to have any thoughts, right? Like new meditators think. And, and, uh, and then I started thinking, oh, it keeps coming. Maybe I should look at this. So I, I started examining the word autoimmune. And I realized, oh, that means I'm attacking me, auto. Oh, I need to quit looking outside for what's happening and start investigating inside. Mm. And, and I thought autoimmune means I'm killing myself. I'm actually committing suicide in a societally acceptable manner is kind of what came to me. I thought, oh my goodness. So why do I want to die? Because I don't right now. And when did that ever happen where I really did want to die? And so I started following this little breadcrumb trail back, I call it, of memories. And I landed in this, this place of my 10-year-old self who was being sexually abused by the vice principal of my elementary school. And I saw her sitting out on a balcony in Key West, Florida, in the Navy housing complex that we lived in under a palm tree, just like in the corner of this balcony by herself really wanting to die and, and going, oh, you wanted to die mm -hmm. bad. You want it out. 
because she didn't have, I, I was raised very sheltered, no television, and we lived all over the world. And so, you know, we didn't live very long in one place at a time. And I, I don't even think at the age of 10, I, I knew the word sex or even like abuse or molest. Like, I, I don't think I knew these words because when I tried to tell people what was going on and I did try to tell them, my dad was out to sea, but I tried to tell my mom and I would cry before going to school because, and be sick to my stomach and which was highly unusual. Like I, I mean, I graduated valedictorian from college and high school. I loved school. So the idea that I wouldn't want to go to school was foreign. And so, you know, this, this idea that I, I tried to tell people, but then the vice principal was telling me it was my fault. Um, I was like one of two white girls in an all black school. So it was like, you're white trash. And you know, this is what's, this is what your reality is. Right. And there was actually nothing I could do about it. And so when, when I went back to this little kid, I went, Oh, you did want to die. This has to have something to do with this autoimmune disease that I have right now. And it turns out that it does. And it's interesting because I've conducted a study called the Healing Unresolved Trauma Study. And then the ACEs study, we can talk about the Adverse mm -hmm. Childhood Experiences Study. The ACEs study actually points to the fact that the higher your number of adverse childhood experiences, then the more risk you have for all the chronic illnesses in adulthood that we have today in our culture, including rheumatoid arthritis and cancer, which 10 years later, I also got breast cancer. So, you know, being able to kind of track that, go backwards and say, oh, this has to have something to do with it. Let's get on it. And so I really, I hadn't ever done any therapy around this. In fact, ignored it by overachieving in my life. And so, you know, within six months, my RA was gone, gone, never to be seen again. Uh, oh. Now, what I tell people, Stephanie, is like, I could get it back. It's in my genetics. Like I do genetic testing on all my patients and I have genetics for RA and I could definitely turn those back on. And, you know, if I, if I went back to the way that I did not process emotions to driving this poor little body, the way that I drove it into the ground, you know, it's in all in the name of health thinking that's what I was doing. Right. And if I were to do all of that, become another, you know, another version of me that was the earlier 1.0 version, who was a complete sugar addict, mm -hmm. you know, ran long miles in order to keep her weight maintained so that she could have five brownies the night before if that was a stressful day at work or in the family, you know, all of those very unconscious patterns of behaving that were attached to the meanings that I had made up about my life and the world and myself in it. If I went back to that, I could have RA again easily. So the fact of the matter is, as I always say, rheumatoid arthritis is indeed Western medicine is correct. It is not curable, but it is reversible, right? And that's that's the beautiful part. And I think in, in our society, the, the missing piece of the puzzle in functional medicine too is really what to do about these these early meanings and beliefs and sabotaging behaviors that we create and you know as a result of those meanings and beliefs right you can't get someone to get off of sugar if you don't understand like what is it their child self said sugar was supposed to be for them you may have heard me mention the nutrient dim on several episodes and i want to take a moment to describe exactly what that is 
When I was in graduate school, my doctorate focused on estrogen metabolism. Now, you're probably wondering what that even means and why it matters to your health. Well, research has shown that our risks for fibroids, cysts, and breast, ovarian, uterine, prostate, and colon cancer can all be linked back to estrogen, but it's not the levels of estrogens that can increase our risk. Instead, it's the way our bodies handle that estrogen that matters. We can run individual lab tests for this, which I often recommend to my patients. That's called estrogen metabolism testing, which has to be done in the urine. Even without the test, however, it is safe to take a supplement and extract of cruciferous vegetables to improve your estrogen metabolism. That's basically like taking in six pounds of those veggies per day in a capsule form without the gas. That supplement is called DIM, D-I-M. You can also use methylated B vitamins as well as specific targeted antioxidants like resveratrol to help improve your estrogen metabolism and help protect you from that cancer risk. Of course, also make sure you have your practitioner run a comprehensive genetic analysis to see from another perspective if you are at increased risk and help you learn what you can do to lower that. If you're interested in learning more about DIM, read chapter six of my book, Your Longevity Blueprint, and check out our product info sheet at yourlongevityblueprint.com forward slash product forward slash DIM. To get 10% off DIM alone or 15% off our estrogen detox bundle with DIM, methylated B vitamins, and antioxidant support. Just use the code estrogen detox when checking out at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now let's get back to the show. I've heard you in other interviews talk about history of perfectionism and that that was a behavior as a result of what happened to you. Right. Um, do you want to expand on that a little bit, kind of putting the putting those pieces together better than I could. <laughs> sure. So in 2013, I conducted this study called the Healing Unresolved Trauma Study. It was my doctoral research. And the reason I did it was because, you know, people always say a PhD in sexology. I'm like, yes, <laughs> best, sexolo- I mean, best PhD ever. And I am, I am mother fucker. <laughs> you know, like, if you ever see meet the fuckers. Oh, yes. I am like a little scaled back version, but I am her, right? <laughs> now, and like, and I was so conservative, you know, so it's just funny to see this, like, wow. <laughs> so, and I went back to school to do this doctoral research because I kept having women come into my practice who were asking for hormones. And I would, I know I prescribe bioidentical hormone therapy all the time. And, but one of the things that I was interested in is how come people would come in instantly saying, I have a hormone imbalance. This is what I need because you prescribe this to my sister, mother, daughter, friend, you know, and they're fabulous. And I want some of that. Then I would start asking questions like, well, why do you think you need hormones? And oftentimes I would hear these stories that, you know, of like, I can't sleep. I can't remember words. I I don't have any energy. I I've gained a bunch of weight, but I haven't changed my diet and I'm exercising the same, but I'm gaining weight. And I hear that all the time. Yeah. In my practice. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And, and I don't have any libido. And so then when I would start asking questions that would take them deeper, right? Like, so do you like your sex partner? Yeah, my husband, he's great. I love him. Poor guy. I feel so bad for him. He's so patient with me, right? And and so then I would say, well, when's the last time you had a libido level that you were happy with? And then I would often get people crying, you know, like, well, I never have. And my husband's been so patient, right? And I would say, well, you know, if you've never had a libido level, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, are, you know, they're not magic. They're not going to right. bring to you that you've never had, right? 
or they would say, no, I don't really like my partner. <laughs> you know? and, and again, I would say, hormones aren't going to help that. Let's talk about that. Right. And so I started realizing there were so many stories and people had this, you know, much like the Western model of let's have a magic wand, you know, hormones were supposed to act like the magic wand for them. And I was hearing a lot of story that included a lot of hurt and mm -hmm. pain that hormones were being expected to fix. Mm -hmm. And so when I went back to school, it was because when I went into PubMed again, looking for research, I couldn't find anything that actually tied to what I was seeing with low libido. And so I did this study and I was asking women about this very thing. So, you know, if, if you have, if your partner pushes a button that is from an old hurt, does your libido go down? And for the most part, the answer was yes. It's kind of like resoundingly yes, which made sense to me because that's what happens with me, right? And so I thought, okay, well, why isn't this anywhere in the science? And then, then I looked at, uh, you know, okay, so what would help that? Instead of giving hormones, what if I taught somebody a practice for forgiveness and really worked with them on their trauma? So as a I'd already gone back to school a long time before that to get certified in several trauma modalities because I found that as I was working with people that would come into me with gastroesophageal reflux disease, you know, I, our standard of care is to give them something for acid reflux. But then when I would ask them questions, I would find they were just wrung out with anxiety. And I would say, I can't give you a prescription for this. Like knowing full well, that's not the problem, right? You're not deficient in Prilosec. Right. You know, you're actually having a problem with anxiety. So I went back to school for therapy for that reason, to help people to really have tools. And so as I was working with this, I thought, gosh, you know, this is big. This People are falling through the cracks. And so this HURT model came out of that study. And the HURT model says, first you have an event, an adverse childhood event of some kind, and everyone has trauma. So that's another thing. It's like, Capital T trauma is the stuff that we think of when we think of trauma, sexual abuse, domestic violence, you know, physical, psychological, um, it, it, abandonment, neglect, having a parent or a caregiver that's mentally ill, incarcerated, dead, divorced, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Neglect and all of these things that we can think of as trauma. Right. But then there are also these little T traumas, right? Which are experiences of rejection or betrayal or places where you haven't felt like you're good enough, fast enough, beautiful enough, smart enough. Right. So when you go up to that first event in childhood, you have this place where it's like, Oh, uh, maybe you couldn't get to the top of the rope in the presidential challenge. Right. And PE. And it was in front of everybody. And so at that point, watching the kids in the line do the rope and you know every year this thing sucks and you're like oh here we go again it's the yearly mortification process right and so what's going to happen is the same exact thing that happened to me when i got called into the vice principal's office right is the heart rate starts going you start sweating with anxiety about not showing up in the way that you want to in front of your peers because we're actually wired that if the peers reject you, right, you're in caveman times and you've got the firelight circle and the community pushes you outside the firelight circle, the saber tooth tiger can eat you. So you're wired to really understand that rejection is dangerous, okay? 
So here we are, we're just dealing with the rope and PE or missing a word in the spelling bee in front of everybody or tripping and falling down the stairs in school, like whatever, you know, childhood is a jungle of trauma. <laughs> and so you don't have to think about it in capital T trauma terms. You can think about it in these other, some of the stuff like I'm writing a book on healing trauma right now. And one of the stories I'm telling is of a woman that came to see me who's big trauma. And it was huge was she was the third girl and she never got anything new. She was crying, saying, like, even socks, they were handing down. And so what happens is we have this event, right, this thing that happens. And then, like in her case, every time she opened up a present at Christmas and it was a hand-me-down, she would go into a space of hurt and sadness. And then that would trigger a, a physical response, the freeze, right? Sympathetic nervous system, fight, flight, freeze. Usually in children, it's freeze. I mean, it was for me, I'm not fighting a vice principal, right? And so it's freeze. And then right in that moment, we are meaning making people. We're going to make up a meaning about this. And because children are narcissists, we're supposed to be, we're, you know, we're little beings trying to be big beings. We're actually very self-centered because we're trying to figure out how to survive in a world run by adults. So we make up the meaning about ourselves. So it's going to be I, right? And so the meaning that this woman created was I'm invisible. I'm not important. So in my sexual abuse story, I always tell it like, here we are in Florida in a fifth grade classroom. And I don't know if you guys had this in your schooling, but an intercom in the corner of the classroom would crackle to life every morning. And we would get up and say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. And then the secretary would do announcements. And then sometimes I'd get called to the office. And that was infrequent. But every single morning and throughout the day, every time that intercom would crackle to life, I would go into panic rabbit, right? Frozen. I would get sweaty. I would shake, right? So that response system triggers a meaning I'm going to make up. And I made up the same meaning as the woman who only got hand-me-downs. And our response was the same. Mine was, I'm not important enough to protect. Right. She comes up with, I'm not important because she got hand-me-downs, never abuse. And I got the same meaning from that experience. And so then you have a belief that gets created, you know, it's your self-belief. Like, what do you believe about yourself? Right. Well, I'm not important enough to protect was mine. And so then a behavior will be adopted as an adaptation response to that belief. Everybody does this, like, constantly when we're children. My, my behavior, the adaptive behavior response of the mind of the child of 10. Now, remember that the brain in a child is not fully developed until it's 26 years old. So, and then we're not self-centric anymore, usually, at the age of 26. So now we have some opportunity to shift our perspective of the way that we see the world and ourselves in it. At the age of 10, I'm still self-centric. Right. And, and the adaptive behavior response was, I have to be perfect because he's telling me this is my fault. And so perfectionism became my adaptive behavior. Now, I have not met anyone with autoimmune disease that is not a perfectionist. So it's kind of I call it the one of the four P's. I usually will talk about three P's or four P's that all people with autoimmune disease have. And one is people pleasing. Another is perfectionism. 
Another is holding on to the poison of past pain. And then the other one is in the Ayurvedic medicine paradigm. So sometimes I leave it off if we haven't talked about Ayurveda. And that is your, your dosha type, they call it, which is like, remember how I said everyone's different. Well, they categorize this as um, three different metabolic types, vata, pitta, and kapha. And the pitta type has more fire in them. So they actually are prone to inflammation. And they also are very driven and usually perfectionist. And that's the pitta person. So it's like the fourth P. And so that was me to a T. <laughs> and at the age of 30, when I was diagnosed with RA, that was my opportunity to finally have, you know, as I learned to meditate, to witness what I was doing to myself. Because this isn't about the trauma. It's about your response to the trauma, the meaning you make up to the trauma and the behavior you adapt that becomes a maladaptive response. So in the hurt model, the way it goes is now you get some challenge in life in adulthood, whether it's you keep getting fired from jobs or you can't hold a happy relationship or you get a disease process, whatever it is, right? Something's happening that's actually a challenge that you feel like you can't meet. Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, right? You get a challenge. And then if you, you know, in the Joseph Campbell's phase of the hero's journey, if you decide to say, okay, I accept the challenge, then you know you don't have the skills for it. So you have to go find a mentor. So for me, it was Ayurveda and then eventually functional medicine, which mm -hmm. Ayurveda put into English and, you know, mentors along the way. And then, then you learn how to integrate all of that and you get this opportunity to start a self-inquiry, right? So on the hurt model, you say the, from the first hurt, emotional hurt loop, there's a bifurcation. And one side is you keep doing the same thing you've always done, which is maladaptive memory processing. You keep doing it the same way you did it as a child the wise mind of a child, right? They did it the best they could as skillfully as they possibly could. But now you're more skillful and more developed, right? You've been through some developmental stages and you can actually go back and say, okay, every time I'm unhappy, I'm the common denominator. Every time something's going wrong in my life, I'm present. Hmm, maybe I have something to do with this. That then triggers you to come over to the other side where the bifurcation is. And this one says, oh, if you're willing to actually curiously and compassionately self-confront, then you might find that there is an outmoded way of being, maybe an outmoded belief from up here that you created in childhood in response to some event or another that's then created a behavioral model for yourself that's not working anymore. And so it gives you a series of things to do to heal that so that you can actually then, according to Joseph Campbell, Hero's Journey, right? Then you evolve and you expand your consciousness and you actually master new skills. And with that self-master, you can come back to your community and now you can teach that. You're the oracle. You can actually answer what other people that are still struggling, right? You can provide answers for them. You and I are both in that space. The thing that really makes people angry, though, and I see this over and over again, that we use words in our culture that I find a little offensive, like, I'm going to crush it. I'm going to beat it. I'm going to fight it, right? And I'm just like, oh. So, so you know, they come back and they're like, I crushed it. I fought it. I conquered it, right? And then when life, which is supposed to happen, this is actually the promise that life brings us, 
when life delivers another challenge later, <laughs> you have to start all over again and do it again. And it keeps us evolving. It keeps us growing and expanding our consciousness. And so, you know, if you can sort of live in a space of accepting that that's what life promises and behind me is like glorious, glorious window of nature, right? Nature has no straight lines. You can see behind me, there are straight lines that are man-made. We keep trying to put things in order. Like, okay, now I know what to do. Now I've got the formula, right? But if you look beyond the straight lines out to nature, it's chaos, you know, and there's so much beauty in that chaos and it's in cycles and it, there's death and then there's a rebirth and it's always renewal, you know, but the stuff that needs to die needs to die. And so that includes our own processes and our own ego structures and, and life has a way of giving us all the beautiful, bountiful blessings to be able to do that. So after my, my RA, I went 10 years learning all of this and then I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And you had asked me about that story. And the story is that my, um, I have four children, as I said, and one of them was my second son was home from college and he's 18. And he said, Mom, I have to talk to you. And I said, boy, this sounds serious. And, and he said, it is. So we sat actually down at this very dining room table that I'm sitting at right now. And I was sitting right where I am and he sat across from me and he said, I just need to let you know that when we were, and, and he talked about his older brother, um, like three and five, then uh, the boy down the street that used to sometimes babysit us sexually molested us. And I went <sighs> bonkers. And it was the most devastating news I could possibly receive, obviously, except for that my kids were dead. Right. And it was the thing, of course, that the, the little girl part of me, the teenage part of me, the adult young mother part of me, the, you know, had always sworn I would protect my children from. And I remember with having, you know, having my, my baby in my arms and, and looking at my other three kids jumping on the trampoline down in the yard with the neighbor boy. And we were friends with their family and, and calling out there, you know, he was 12. If you want to watch them, I have to go to the grocery store and I'll pay you. You guys are having a good time. Right. Just like that. So, so right. Friends and family never would have even thought. And so when he told me that it was like somebody reached in, you know, with this giant, fist of shame and guilt and heartache and despair and and just crushed my heart and I just I just remember Colin saying to me I said how come you haven't told me this before and and he said because of this I do not want my childhood defined by this event I did not want you to have to bear this right and I just went of course then of course that's even worse because my son <laughs> me, right? And so uh, not too long after that, I, I actually tracked down the now young man, facilitated this amazing forgiveness exercise between all of them, got my kids in counseling right away. Like just really, it was amazing. It was amazing. incredible. Yeah, it was so beautiful. And when I called him, he said, 
this is yours. I've been waiting for this call for 15 years, you know, like he, well, yeah, he had also been sort of like stewing in it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was this remarkable, beautiful unfolding of what, and then after it was done, and of course it's never done, but when the crisis management, you know, and all of us had been kind of put, it was about a, I don't know, three month period, maybe four. I went into the biggest rage against my parents because what I saw was what was possible if you actually listen to your children, right? Um, I thought, gosh, you know, therapy would have been nice. (laughs) Being able to have somebody that would track down the perpetrator Uh and actually create, you know, and facilitate a dialogue that would have been nice, right? And thinking about what could have happened, like what probably happened to other little girls in that school because nobody actually listened to me, right? Mm. Rage on so many different levels, just rage that I had never ever witnessed or allowed myself to have before. Rage. I wrote my parents a, a bridge burning letter. Like I did not care if I ever saw them again. And I was, um, I had a hiking partner, my best friend, and I told her about it. And she actually, thank goodness for her, she called my dad and said, you guys need to expect something. (laughs) (laughs) They were prepared for the, the bridge burning letter and Ashley showed up in this beautiful way. My father called me and I don't like, I always tell my patients, you need to not need this because I was prepared not to have it, you know, like, cause sometimes the rage you feel is with people that are already dead. Like mm-hmm. my vice principal, I'm not ever going to have this happen with him. Sure. Right? So there's a whole process that I do with people that you don't need the person there. But my dad did show up and my mom for the very first time in her entire life told me that she was sorry, you know, and he flew out and I said, well, you know, you don't, I'm going off into the backwoods. Um, I, I was planning a, that I'm a hiker. I love to go. And so I was like, I'm, I'm taking off for four days out into the back country where no one can, you know, like there's nothing. So if you come, you have to be prepared to put a 75 pound pack on your back and haul all your own stuff out there. And then you have to be prepared for whatever I have to say to you whether I'm screaming, crying, raging, howling at the moon, singing, laughing, like you have to be prepared for whatever's going to move through me because I've got a lot happening right now that's been released, right? It's up and I need to get out of here. And so he said, I'm there. And so I packed him a pack and when he arrived, put it on him and we hiked back in, you know, and he did. He sat and he listened while I did all of the processing I needed to process with him. It was remarkable. And then, and then, Like, again, like you can't expect that from most people. So that, and then going to coming back and then going in for my, my physical and finding a lump in my breast, (laughs) it was like, oh crap. Uh, I I went in and I had an ultrasound of it and there was like this beautiful blood supply to this tumor. It was right over my heart, right in my left breast. That you call beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) It was so brilliantly beautiful. Like it was so alive and so well fed and just just pulsating with life right i looked at it and i was like oh and i said i know where that came from and i said give me a month you know i i need to do some work so i went back into therapy and like heavy duty heavy duty like i realized i'd forgiven everybody 
but not myself Mm. for allowing my children to be abused. And so I had to do that. And that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. It was harder than anything I've done. And it wasn't about crushing cancer, conquering cancer. It was about learning to love myself. It was Mm. learning to forgive myself. You know, the, the 38, 39, 40 year old version you know, who wasn't there for her children, the in the in the way that she would have expected herself to be, who couldn't, right? Like she had to do that work. And a month later, I went back in for a follow-up ultrasound, and all of those that vasculature that fed that tumor was just hanging there, and there was just dead space. There was no more tumor. Wow. It was completely wow. gone in a month. And you know, I also tell my patients, please, like. Every single person has their own journey. Mm -hmm. Cancer shows up for a variety of reasons. And when I look at my genetics, I do not process estrogen at all, you know, and there's breast cancer in my family. So again, like I happened to know right then in that moment, exactly what was going on with my body. Like I was filled with so much resentment and shame and guilt. It was, it's more toxic than any amount of pollution a corporate industry can actually generate into our planet, right? To make us sick. The, the toxicity we create from ourselves is so much more potent than what we have to filter from outside. And that, that really is what I learned from all this is, so, you know, mold. Yeah. Okay. There's mold everywhere. I live in the Pacific Northwest. They're plastics. There's BP. I mean, there's, you know, there's everything, right? Mm-hmm. But the resentment, guilt, shame stuff that I had circulating in my system that I manufactured right here, that was far more toxic than anything. And I had to actually clean that up. Mm-hmm. And when I did, my health is beautiful. No problems, right? You are a beautiful storyteller. Thank you for sharing all of that. <laughs> am I am I correct in saying that the freedom framework that you you've created that and that's what you use with your patients to help facilitate that forgiveness? Is that correct? Yes. And I always say, and it shows up on the hurt model, that forgiveness is the last, you know, the last step. First you have to do a bunch of other things. Like you have to get in touch with what are the meanings that you created in response to mm-hmm. different events. You don't have to go back and relive trauma. That's the thing is people are afraid of doing this kind of work because they think they're going to have to open up cans that they have sealed and put on the shelf and don't want to ever see again. Problem is, is those cans leak. And, you know, that was what I became acutely aware of in that meditation that day when I realized, oh, this has to have something to do with my rheumatoid arthritis 20 years later. Sure. You know? And, and is, so, that, is that something that you help patients um, kind of see what yeah. behaviors they have attached and you work with clients to do that? Yeah. Yeah. This whole process is, um, it's not a one and done. It's not an overnight process, you know, um, but once you get started on it, it's, it's exciting. Like there does come a time when actually you find it fun. And I, I know that sounds <laughs> weird, but it's like, oh, wow. I had no idea how much energy I was spending to keep the world from witnessing this part that I don't want to even see in myself. 
right? And once those energy walls start to drop, as you start to become more and more authentic and you start to let this stuff be seen by the light inside of yourself to yourself. So I call what I do mystic medicine because it's mystic comes from the word mystery, which is the mystery is that you're actually hiding the answers to your problems from yourself. They're not being hidden from you. You're hiding them from you yourself. And so what we're doing is we're allowing safety so that you can slowly, slowly, slowly start to see that, right? Start to witness for yourself. And so it's very empowering. And once you start to see like, oh, this doesn't hurt. Oh, I have so much energy now because I didn't even realize how much energy was going towards this energy wall of protection that I, I have held up unconsciously because I think people can't be trusted or the world's not safe or they're going to see that I'm not smart or that I'm not good enough or whatever it is. I'm not worthy. I'm not deserving those, those energy wells. Once you let them down, you get that energy to live your life with a mean with meaning and purpose. Like you actually get to, to live instead of having protection all the time. It's beautiful. So it's, it's really amazing the work, um, that is done. And, and, you know, sometimes people will be like, oh, uh, I'm afraid you're going to judge me. And you know? I'm like, I cry all the time in my appointments. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I like, I know I'm not a professional. I'm so sorry. Like you've seen my, I, my tears and my eyes, they just come right. Cause my heart was so open and I'll just say, no, on the contrary, I never judge. What I do is I feel inspired by the courage, you know, and it's just like these courageous people that show up to do this work. And once you start that process, mm. it's so freeing, which is why I call it freedom framework. And it's just like, oh, I can actually just be me. And it's the me I never knew existed, which is the one that's actually part of the divine, right? That's, that's part of the co-creation of the world that I live in. And it's so, so inspiring. I think that's the best suited name you could have picked, the Freedom Framework. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you also offer retreats for individuals? I do. So, um, in fact, we have one coming up in uh, first week of August. I do them quarterly, and they are limited to eight people, and they're going really deep. I call them Mystic Medicine Deep Immersion Retreats, and they come to my place on San Juan Island, and we just dive deeply for about three and a half days doing this um, rather than an hour at a time on Zoom or, you know, or in sure. therapy, um, which does eventually tip things away. But once when you can have like concentrated, you know, that's that's actually how I got rid of my cancer. I went into a four day retreat. That's that's exactly how I got rid of it. And it's like you're there's no break. Right. And it's just being loved and being and being held and supported and safety. So you can really, really, really dive into this and get it done. Awesome. I, I, I love functional medicine. I love what I do, but this is a whole nother level. This is what I feel is oftentimes missed. <laughs> Obviously right. it's highly needed. And now you've created a way for patients to heal um, from the hurt, from the trauma. This is, this is amazing. I, I have to point out that you're also a chef. Are you, are you a chef? I am not a chef. Oh, no. <laughs> you, have a, you have a cookbook though. I know you, you always made clean, you know, home cooked meals for your children. You were well-trained in the kitchen. I'll say that. Yes. Yes. And we're all very good cooks, but I have not been a, um, <laughs> I assume, like someone that's gone to school for it. 
So, um, yes, I have a cookbook and what I did was it's called the quick and easy autoimmune paleo cookbook. I wrote it because an autoimmune paleo sort of diet came out, right? Which I'm not here to say is wrong, but I am here to say that there's no one diet for everyone with autoimmunity as well as there's no one diet for everybody, you know, for anyone, it's just not the case. And so what I did is I wrote this, this cookbook with templates because people always want like the straight lines behind me in the windows, right? They, they want things to make sense. The left brain wants order. It wants to be able to analyze things. And that's like I pointed out earlier, it's not usually the way nature works. And so what, what will be assumed and it's what rheumatologists try to convey too. They, they always want things to make sense and be orderly, but autoimmunity is messy. And so it's, it's not, a disease of the organ that your your body's attacking, right? So Hashimoto's is not a thyroid disorder as much as it is an immune disorder mm -hmm. of the thyroid being the target, right? Rheumatoid arthritis, MS, lupus, Raynaud's, eczema, psoriasis, like there are now up to 200 autoimmune diseases, right? I, the way that I, in solving the autoimmune puzzle, I put a graphic in there and I put all of them in one bucket and said, you don't really have to, know the diagnosis as much as you need to understand that your immune system has gone rogue. You know, this is actually a bucket that's labeled inflammation and you have a hypervigilant overreactive immune system. And that can happen in a couple of different ways. And functional medicine always wants to tease it out. You know, is this TH1, TH2, you know, it's, it, but the thing of it is, is if you get down to the very basics of it, your immune system is fighting you. And so when you start thinking about that way, which is why I don't like the words like, you know, phrases, crush it, conquer it, fight it, you know, I'm like, ooh, that's actually autoimmunity. It means that that's, that's what you're engaged in as a combative relationship with yourself. So with all that being said, the way that I think about it is you have to get into a collaborative relationship with you. And, and so blueberries can actually be triggered in your immune system, you know, and, and there is no removing blueberries, you know, from the autoimmune paleo protocol. And so when I wrote this cookbook, I did it in this template format. And I said, here's what you need to know about your immune system. So half of the book is information and education. And there's a freedom framework food plan that has some basic rules and guidelines. And then the templates are recipes like, when I take people off of gluten and dairy and soy and, and coffee and alcohol and corn, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I don't leave it there because people get very despondent and despair about that. Um, feel very deprived, right? Call it the D's. And so what, what you want to replace it with is stuff that's actually, you've asked your body and said, Oh, you don't like this. So instead of going into, Oh, I can't have gluten. Therefore I'm deprived. This isn't fair. It's like, well, you're not even checking with your body. You've got to ask this beautiful, amazing, amazing blessing of a body that you have that carries you around in this lifetime with no thanks. I always tell people we're, we're like the most entitled species on the planet because we just wake up every morning and expect the body to do behave in a certain way. And mm. when, when we're born, there is no contract that comes out with us that says you're going to live this many years. Your body's supposed to do it this way. There's no one that ever promised us 
you, your children are supposed to outlive you. Like all these things that we think are supposed to happen and we expect are entitlements. Like we we're just still entitled to this stuff. Like it doesn't make any sense to me. I, I think about it and I go, gosh, you know, when I open my eyes in the morning and I can see what I can see, I can see your gorgeous face. I can witness this amazing technology that puts us in two different states to be able to have this conversation and then also be able to be in front of people that could possibly have a message they need to have. I can go outside with my dogs to that. Like, wow. Right. Mm. That is sometimes it brings me to tears at how overwhelming I am in my joy, you know, and, and my blessings. So to be mad at your body because it doesn't weigh a certain amount or it doesn't move in a certain way, or you have pain somewhere, the pain that your body is experiencing is a relay message to you. It's saying like, help me, you know, and you wouldn't look at your toddler and smack it and, and say, you know, go away, stop bothering me. Hopefully, hopefully you don't do that. You listen, you go, Oh, what's going on, sweetheart. Right. And that's actually like this poor body never gets that from us. Oh, what's going on, sweetheart. You know, that love and that care and that attention and attunement, that's what has to happen for us to be healthy because our body has a consciousness of, the own, of its own and it's so wise. And so it'll say, no, that, that doesn't work for me. Right. So, uh, I, I do kind of try and put like my toddlers in the space. Like if I were to put my toddler in a car seat and, and then they would scream, I wouldn't just ignore them. I would go, Oh, what's going on? Like what, what's happened here? Oh, the metal on the car seat got too hot in the sun or that you're being pinched or, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Right. And so, but we don't do that for our body when it's screaming at us and going, I'm in pain. We don't do that, you know? So this cookbook is like a way of allowing you to drop into this beautiful relationship of asking, how are you? What do you need from me? And then providing it, you can, you can have muffins and pancakes and cookies and, and energy balls and all these beautiful desserts. I, I have a cake recipe in there. You can celebrate birthdays and New Year's and Christmas and, and all the holidays in this beautiful way. But I'm, I'm like one of the most, I don't know, one of the busiest people I know. And so people will say, well, I don't have time to cook like Danielle Walker, who is amazing, right? Her cookbooks, just amazing. I have all of them and I cook for them at the holidays. But my day to day, I don't have time to do what Danielle does. And so I wrote this book for people that it's like things that have seven ingredients or less that you can rock your kitchen, be in and out, and still live in this beautiful collaborative relationship with your body, asking it questions, getting getting into this beautiful space with it instead of driving it into a place that you want it to be. Believe me, I've lived that and it doesn't work. Awesome. Well, I want to, I will post a link actually to your book, of course, in the show notes. And then I want to circle back around to libido for a moment. So everything that you mentioned going back and you know, looking at childhood trauma. I mean, this applies even to libido. And so you actually have a course, yeah. correct, on it, helping it women. especially to libido. Yeah. Ayurvedic medicine calls our life force vitality, like the energy that infuses everything, This the Sanskrit word called ojas. And they say, once your ojas is gone, you die. Libido is the word that I use in English for that. 
So if your passion for your life is gone, right? If you don't have any energy, if you're just like lethargic and listless and depressed and anxious, like all those things, you're not going to have libido usually. So it's not just sexual. It's actually your passion for your life. What what do you get up excited about if it's nothing anymore and you used to? Your libido has gone, right? Sure. And so the libido cure, um, it's another book I'm writing right now, is, is um, this too, is, is like this is really getting into the root causes of that, finding and fixing the blockages, like being in the energetic flow of life and having life carry you rather than you always feeling like you're fighting against it. Love that. Love that. So I will post a link to your libido cure course as well. And lastly, you do have a free gift for our listeners. Do you want to share that? please? Yeah. So I always play a lot with F words. If in solving the autoimmune puzzle, I have this whole section on playing with F words. And so I, I did this little book called from fatigue to fabulous. And, and it's like, you can fill in some of the rest of it, but <laughs> fatigue to fabulous is looking at different swaps of people do grieve when, you know, they have a certain way of being like, I remember the cinnamon rolls I used to make. Oh, I still grieve them sometimes because I haven't been able to quite figure them out without the whole gluten sugar thing. Sure. I make some good ones, but they're just not the same. Right. And so it's, it gives swaps for ways that I've learned, um, in my kitchen and in my life. It's, it's not just the physical cooking part, but it's also like swaps for beliefs and swaps for assumptions in life and looking at expectations and all of that. So it's, it goes through your, your physical body, energetic body, emotional and mental bodies um, so that you can actually have this kind of spiritual freedom in essence is what it is and uh, not feel deprived, right? And have that energy I was talking about. So that's a book from fatigue to fabulous. So we um, you're gifting that to the listeners, which is very generous. So thank you. We'll also post that in the show notes. Thank you. I'm sure listeners just already haven't gotten enough of you. So <laughs> tell us where they can, can follow you, where they can find you and learn more from you. Uh, DrKeisha.com actually is the easiest way. D-R-K-E-E-S-H-A.com. And the, the best way to kind of drop into the freedom framework and what I do is reading Solving the Autoimmune Puzzle. I wrote it to pre-educate people. So Perfect. Great start. Highly recommended. I need to read it myself. <laughs> so thank you so much for all of your time today for sharing, just being vulnerable and sharing everything that you've been through uh, really to the benefit of others. And again, I, I just, I speak with so many other wonderful colleagues who are functional medicine practitioners, but not many are driving home the importance of healing from trauma. And that's clearly a huge piece of the puzzle. So thank you for providing that piece. And I hope listeners yeah. connect with you soon. Thank you for being on the show today. Bye, everybody. Wow, wow, wow. I'm sitting here in awe of her healing and her attitude of total gratitude for her surroundings and ultimately her life that she has gained back. What a fabulous journey she shared, which incorporated lots of therapy and forgiveness of herself. I've heard Dr. Keisha before tell her patients to not think that there is a destination called done. Healing and keeping diseases like her rheumatoid arthritis at bay is an ongoing process as it is for us all. Since this episode did air after her August retreat, you can find the date of her upcoming retreats at drkeisha.com and a link to her free book from Petite to Fantastic, her cookbook and her libido cure course will be posted in the show notes. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, not only is the course 50% off, 
but you also get your first consult with me for free. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I read all of the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, or how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thanks so much for listening and remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.